Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 3-21-2021. We're continuing our service where we left off with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Think of Romans chapter 11, verse 6. So, this verse says it ever so simply. If by grace, then it cannot be based on works. You must put works aside when grace enters the picture. Further, or give us the results of mixing works with grace. Grace will no longer be grace. For more emphasis, just in case we did not get the point, if you introduce your works to a great salvation, the word of God says that you cancel grace. So, grace is nullified by adding works. What does this mean for our subject? Salvation is by grace. And if we add any works, we simply do not have a salvation that is by grace. There is only one way the word of God declare a lost man can be saved. There is only one way of salvation in the entire Bible in every age, and it is salvation by grace. Here's the danger of approaching salvation with the wrong understanding. If we bring our works, we will be rejected just like Cain in Genesis chapter 4. This verse is very important principle in understanding of, of grace. Do you believe it in a salvation based upon what you do or will do? Do you believe that your salvation has anything at all to do with your works? Do you think your salvation can be lost by something you may do? Or something you failed to do. If you answer yes to any of these questions, you may not be saved by grace. When I read the last, that last sentence, it sounds harsh. It is meant not it is not meant to be cruel, but to make you think about who is responsible for your salvation. You are Christ. Do you have God? Or does God have you? It's very interesting. Well, we all know that those who believe in salvation by faith upon what Christ did on the cross, but he was a, he was a substitutionary. He, he, he died substitutionary for us. So our salvation does not come from our point of view. It comes from what Christ did on the cross. So you only have to believe that Christ Die for your salvation, die for you, and that's the point of salvation. But if you cancel that and it works to that, you cancel out the perfect work that God did for his only begotten son on the cross. So, my thing is, what do you think about Christ? Or do you have, you know, are you so pumped up? You believe that I could come to God on my own work. If you come to God upon your own works, example, you're not saved. But if you come to believe in Christ there, it's a possibility that you are saved. 
So do I get out of the photo of me? So now we have the white give a response to us in prayer. Thank you very much, Dave. So I'll be extending prayer on behalf of us and all of our families, extended families, etc. Do you have any prayer requests beyond that? All right. Well, let's let's come before God in prayer and bow our head. Thank you, dear Father in heaven. Thank you for all the things that you have done for us to complete work that was required for salvation it is finished and we know it was finished in christ and there we have our being as well i want to pray on behalf of what is truth church for the church itself um, which is the body of christ all of our members let us let us have open fellowship with each other and let that fellowship be edifying to us and, and help us to grow and mature into the fullness of god and to the fullness of christ and we ask that you would also um, watch over the churches around the world. And um, those are, there are people around the world that are on our minds as well. We know that salvation by grace is not exclusive to us alone. Um, and we're sure, 100% sure, um, that you have yours um, all over the world at different stages. Um, we pray that we could be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we study these words that we have before us and i pray that you would you would give doug the wisdom um and the, and the compassion to share these truths and these thoughts with us and help us to all grow i pray for our families and extended families wherever they're at in their stages of being influenced by the holy spirit and we pray that the holy spirit would never give up not an ounce of energy toward anybody. Um, for God wants all people to be saved and for all people to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Uh, we pray for, for people who are hurting in this world. There's a lot of tribulation going on. There's persecution, there's financial difficulties, there's relationship difficulties and dysfunction and natural disasters. All of these things are going on and you know about them. And we pray that um, people would use those things to drive them away from the world and towards you so that we can have our minds set on things above and not on earth. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight and Dave. Appreciate that. We are ready to move forward. Um, we are in John chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. You should have notes. So um, the verses read, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. So in your notes, as our Lord prepares to leave his disciples... He continues to prepare them for the turmoil they will most certainly face in this world. He will not be there to lead and guide, although they are in good hands with the special ministry of the Holy Spirit ordained for them. While there would be opposition to the new way, the disciples would be able to see the trouble before it comes. 
This would help to keep them from fragmenting because of persecution. So we are finally in John chapter 16, and there's a lot ahead of us there uh, in this chapter. I'm looking, really looking forward to digging in. So we are going to start with some verses that deal with persecution. So we will dig in. Uh, the first point is, uh, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. So the discourse has been to prepare the disciples for the emotional roller coaster ride ahead, right? This, what we have seen that really began, I have to even go back to 12, John chapter 12, but uh, 13, uh, 14, and 15, he is, Jesus has been giving some uh, instruction on what is going to happen when he leaves. And at the end of 13, he said, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to go away. I'm, I'm, and right now, you're not going to be able to come. And so uh, the disciples were upset about that. So as a result, we have more detailed discourse. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Right? Believe in God. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I'm and then he goes on and begins to reveal to them the destiny of the church age. And not only that, but the dynamics, the, the spiritual life of those who are in the church. So th th it's been to prepare the disciples, really, this discourse is. And they were getting ready to go for some really tough things to face. Losing their Lord, right? no matter how you slice it. And this is the way I've always seen death. Even though you know it's coming, when it comes, it's always shocking. You could know it. You could say, yeah, all the signs are on, you know, right there all the time. And we knew this was going to be. But then when it happens, it seems like it's always shocking. And for the disciples, it was just that way. Not only did he say he was going to die, he did die. He was buried. And how do you beat that? There was no resurrections in human history. Uh, Christ then was raised from the dead. And then they couldn't believe it. They said, well, this can't be true. <laughs> he raised from the dead. These women must be crazy to say things like this. And, but they took off and went to go look for themselves. Maybe there was like a glimmer of hope that, yeah, you know, he did say he would be coming back. But so all of the words of this discourse become really like words jumping off a page. You don't, when you see these words of instruction and then you see these things come to pass, just like Jesus says, when, when you get to that point in time and then you'll know, you'll remember I said these things to you. So it will resonate with you that I, I told you this before it happened, so you know that you're on the right course. Let's move forward in our notes. From the discourse, the hope is that two things would rule. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Two things should, and we got a lot of this from chapter 15, where he went into love. Chapter 14, he talked about love and detail. 
So the first is the faithful reasoning. So uh, that's what they needed. The disciples knew that Jesus had come from God. And that's, if you look at 14, John 14, I'm going to turn there, some of these uh, passages, but we're going to move quickly because we got a lot of Bible to cover. So John 14, 11 says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now listen, the disciples had seen numerous miraculous works from Jesus. And they knew that there was no person who could do these works except they be from God. So there was no reason for them not to have trust in Jesus Christ because of what they had seen. But even with all of those miracles, they needed to reason that for themselves. They needed to say, well, you know, we, we've been witness to all this. We have seen it firsthand. So we can't, I mean, we've got to know God is, is with us. Right? So that's what, they're, that's what faithful reasoning is. I mean, they, they had to trust Christ. That he was telling them the truth. And they had, to, they had to understand and trust that they were operating in the will of God. That's John 14, 1, where he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's Jesus is telling them, you got to trust what I'm telling you. I'm, you know it's coming from a true source. So you have to trust what I'm telling you. So that's the first thing they had to really uh, think about, and I call it faithful reasoning, to, in order to stabilize themselves. Because, I mean, this is why Jesus is bringing all this to their attention. Even though they know they were witness to the works, Jesus is telling you, believe me when I tell you this. This is, uh, this is going to happen. So the second thought in that is love. So we, we've talked about love in great detail. And love represented their devotion and commitment to the Father's plan. Through, not just the Father's plan, but through the person of Jesus. So it's not just, okay, we believe in God. That's like, uh, you know, when, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Before, he says, do you believe this? And one of them, one of them said, whether it was Mary or Martha, they said, "Oh yeah, we we know that the re there's going to be a resurrection. We know that, but that's because they knew doctrine, they knew Bible. But now Jesus is the the person who has come, and he's telling you these things directly. So now the question is, do you believe it through the person of Christ? What he's telling you." That was important. So their love and devotion and commitment to the Father's plan had to come through the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for one another to not fall away. So it's two things in, in love, right? It's the devotion, the commitment, right? uh, the allegiance to Christ. And then the second part of it is them loving each other. Yeah, don't fragment, don't divide. Uh, Jesus could have uh, died on the cross and people could have just left. And they said, you know what, it's all over. I'm running. I'm going back home. I'm not... It's over. We were wrong before Jesus even ra was raised from the dead. But what do we find? 
You find the disciples in the upper room. They were afraid, but they were still there. They were together, even through all of that. So point C in our notes, they could be in danger of falling away because of the persecution. And usually it wouldn't be that they would just get the leader. They would get all the head followers. Those are the key people, uh, the core of the group. Once they, they, they get the leader, they kill him, they crucify him publicly, they make a, uh, an example out of them. And then they do the same to all of the, the people who followed him, right? To make sure that this would never, this uprising, you know, this ism or whatever it is, would never come back to be uh, a thorn in Rome's side. It was a fear that they had over the people. The people knew uh, they would go down the street and they would see people hanging on crosses and rotting flesh and people agonizing and, and in pain. And, and they had to walk by this. This was not something that was off in the corner somewhere. You know, It was on a public roadway where they would make sure people could see it. And this would instill fear and maintain the authority of Rome. So... Jesus is saying, I need you to have uh, that commitment to me, no matter what, and, and so that they would not fall away. So uh, they could be in danger of falling away. And this is because of persecution. So fear is the main factor. It could overcome their love. And this is why it was important for them to have that love. But Jesus gave them a heads up, right? So they knew it. Even when you look at Philippians 1, 27 and 28, it is the same thing for those after. I'm going to turn to Philippians 1. I know we've read this, but it is also appropriate to read it now. Philippians 1, 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So notice, see, you see that commitment to one another? Said so that you, one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's the doctrines of the gospel, right? And then, verse 28, without being frightened, there's the fear. Because once they stand firm, and, you know, their strength in numbers, even though our numbers in the church age are not the numbers that the world has, but if we stand firm, then it will drive out that fear. And that's what it is, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And that's important because there will be those who oppose you. In fact, in our verse, that's what's going to happen. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. They're going to try to kill you. You know, all these things will, could, or could serve to fragment the disciples. They could be afraid. And even when they were in the upper room, what does it say? They were gripped with fear. They were, they had, they were behind closed doors. The doors were locked. And I would imagine if they heard something, they'd be like, be quiet, be quiet. Shh, shh, shh. I heard somebody. Did you hear somebody? I hear somebody. Be quiet. <laughs> so that 
literally is fear. And fear would, would dictate how they behaved. Whether they, But you can know that after the resurrection, we're going to see some scriptures. And after the Holy Spirit came, there was a boldness, a knowing, a trusting that they, no matter what happened to them, that they were in the will of God. Let's keep going. So what does it mean to fall away? So there's this Greek word, skandalizizo, ladizo, and it means, this is the word where we get to scandalize, and this is uh, uh, to entrap. There's different ways this word is used, but it is pretty clear on when we think about it, how it's actually used in this verse. To entrap, that is to trip up, right? To befuddle, right? Uh, stumble, uh, transitively, to entice to sin, apostasy, or displeasure. Make to offend, that is, uh, not to be made stu to stumble. So in our verse, it, it actually has a negative in front of the word. So it means not, that you will not fall away, or that you will not stumble. So um, that's what we says, the, the, the Kenneth Weiss his uh, translation says that you may not be made to stumble. So that's what happens. And why would they stumble? Is because of fear and because of, you know, uh, maybe what they had trusted in. They thought Jesus was the Christ, but all of a sudden now he's killed. Can he come back? I mean, really? From death? We saw him die. Can We, we were there. We saw him being crucified. Can he really come back? Right. This is all the fear that the disciples had to deal with. So they had, but really what point E is that the disciples needed to present a united front, making a firm foundation for the church. Right. When you think about that, that's what Ephesians says, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. So we, we know that the apostles had, a lot of the apostles were also prophets, right? They served dual roles, as well as other prophets who came along to talk about how the church age would, uh, there would be, uh, what would the church age be? So that's the foundation that we have, the apostles and prophets, right? We, we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And that's how we got the faith, is through the apostles and the prophets, right? That, that new revelation that we received in the church age so that we may not stumble. Right? If we stumble, that means we have a lack of faith. We become doubtful, distrustful of the things that we have believed, even though those things were confirmed to us uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the power of signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, you could still doubt. And so that's why Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that you will not fall away. So we should be able to depend on the things that these apostles saw. We should be able to depend on the things that they heard from Jesus. And that should also give us strength so that we will not fall away. Let's move forward in our notes. Point number two, they will put you out of the synagogue. So the disciples were to expect religious persecution. So Jesus is telling them straight front, straight up. 
uh, this is pretty much what we saw at the end of 15, chapter 15, where he says the, the world will hate you. No, and it's not you. Don't take it personally. It, the reason why they'll hate you, the world will hate you, because it hated me before it hated you. I'm the one that they're after, not you. So, uh, but because of our, you know, walking in Christ and our new age and all the things that are happening, we're going to get persecuted. Christ was persecuted, so will we. And Christ is not just talking about persecution from the world, but religious persecution. That's the key. Now, there are a couple of scriptures. One is uh, John, John chapter 9, verse 20 through 23. Let's look at that one. And we've covered this before. I'll just, hopefully you know the story of the man who was born blind. Disciples were saying, is, was it this man that sinned or was it his mother and father? But anyway, we're picking up in the story where, you know, Jesus heals the man and they go through this whole thing with the Pharisees. He's got to go to them. But anyway, it says, verse 20, we know uh, he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind, but how can how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So here is literally what they were doing. So Jesus is saying that's what they will do uh, to you as well. Uh, you know, th this is what we might call religious persecution in the world today. So they will put you out of the synagogue. So that is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So the reason why they deferred the question, because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. They, they were afraid of the Jews. The disciples, we should know, were also afraid of the Jews. Uh, a couple of times Jesus said things, and they said, Hey, do you know you just offended those Pharisees? Did you know that you were you said that and they were offended? Well, listen, Jesus wasn't worried about what the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. He wasn't worried about that. He came to do the will of the Father, and that is what he did. Come what may. And that's why he ran into trouble with these people. And then uh, then there's 1242. Uh, John, since we're there, we'll skip over to that. John chapter 12, verse 42, which says, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So again, there was religious persecution. So what does it mean to be put out of the synagogue? What's all that about? That goes to point B, 2B. This means that they would be excommunicated. Excommunicated wasn't just, well, okay, so you, you know, I'm going to tell you you're excommunicated and that's the end of it. No, it meant that you will be publicly insulted, ostracized, cut off from Israel, and treated like a Gentile. And, and there's even more to that. Uh, in Hebrews, 
here are some examples of what some of the persecution may have been like. Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. I believe that's where we are. Yeah, let's look at that. Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. Let's see. So it says, Remember those earlier days when you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult, there it is, and persecution. And other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So notice that is some serious persecution. You could lose your job. You could be cut off from your people. All the people that you thought and knew were home and comfortable to you, you could be turned upside down uh, by this excommunication and the, the shutting out of, of the society, as it were. So excommunicated. I also read there was um, excommunicated. The first time, if you, if you, could be, uh, you couldn't go to the temple for 30 days. You, you would be excluded from the temple. And then, if it was very serious, they could extend that and say, uh, another 30 days. And then, if it was even more serious, they could say, indefinitely. You can never come back. You are completely um, excommunicated. This is something the Jews did. Uh, but it was more than just, well, you can't come to church anymore. I know that's how we think about things, but it was way more than that. So uh, then there's Matthew 24, 9 and 10. Let's look at that, see what that has to offer us. Matthew 24, I think it was 24, yeah, 9 and 10. It says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time... Many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. So notice what the result of persecution will be or can be upon people. Turn, I mean, once people are ostracized and hated right, and persecuted, right, and people turn on one another. Right? They lie, they're false prophets, they come, there's false witnesses who will come and testify. And they will hate you. There's all kinds of stuff they did for Christ when they tried to get him on the cross and they didn't have enough evidence. They said, well, let's manufacture some, some evidence. Let's make sure we get this man on the cross. Even Pilate says, hey, we, I don't find any fault with this, this person you have before me, especially not worthy of death. And then, so they said, we don't care. Just crucify him anyway. So this is... You know, this is religious persecution. This is what it was. So we should know it is still going on today. This is not something that ended at the time of Christ. It continued throughout the first century. It continues all the way up through the dark ages of human history. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church persecuted when Protestantism began to uh, take hold. Uh, the Catholic Church fought back and said, no, this is uh, heretical, these doctrines that they're coming up with. In fact, we not only have to um, stop this, but we will uh, start what we call inquisitions, where they would use torture 
and death is if they had to if people would not recant uh, they would they would torture people and um, under pain of fire persecution all kinds of what we would say are weird things today but that is literally the history the church history uh, and if you think about what happened and how Protestantism came along that is literally it. in fact what, what, where, why do we have the word Protestant why are we said to be Protestant because a Protestant person is protestant against what the Catholic Church teaches hence we are Protestants and this is where we came out of conflict out of persecution from the Catholic Church so this is this is not something that stops even today where we are because people still hate the new way they will uh, insult you ostracize you shut you out from what they consider is the quote uh, normal Christian church and they will they will look at this and they will hate you because you're teaching something different from what they're teaching and this is not even to count for other religious uh, persecution that not just the Jews or the the church accepted church but we're talking about other religions you can go to countries and there is religious persecution you cannot just go to countries and say anything you want about different religions and uh, their prophets and they will be highly upset and they will they would also kill you this is not something that uh, is just oh uh, you know you'll just be ostracized <laughs> no they will kill you uh, so this is this is and we're getting to that in our next let's keep going with the notes I could go on about the persecution that's here in the world where uh, people are going into Christian churches with guns and shooting people because they're Christians uh, but there's a lot more so Jesus knew this is point here we are um, point 2c Jesus knew all too well of this persecution and so did the prophets before him so this is not persecution something that only happens from the time of Jesus onward it happened if we go back as well so let's look at Matthew chapter 16 verses 21 and 22 Matthew 16 we're already in Matthew so this should be easy Matthew 16 21 and 22 says from that time on this is after remember Jesus says who do men say that I am and uh, and Peter replied you know you're the son of the living God and that was the right answer Anyway, after that, Jesus says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, he told that uh, to them directly after they understood who he was. Yes, I am the Messiah, but yet this is what's going to happen. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. This was, this was pretty strong. He didn't say, it doesn't seem like that would happen. He said, listen, don't, never. He said, don't even say that. That's never going to happen to you because you're the Messiah. Their, their hearts had a whole different understanding of what the Messiah would do and who he would be. 
So this was Peter's understanding. And Peter, as boisterous and outspoken as he was, said what was on his heart. And I believe he said what was on a lot of the other disciples' hearts as well. I imagine their heads were bobbing up and down as soon as Peter said this. It will never happen to you. Never. Right. So in any case, um, that's, that's how you had to look at this. I mean, this is not something that uh, was common thought in Peter's day. So he was telling people what, what was common. So let's go on to 23. So we're still in Matthew 23, 34, and 35. Matthew 23, let's look at this one. 34 and 35 says, Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Sages are wise, wise men. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zerachiah, son of Berechiah, uh, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Now, so, so this is just Jesus giving a history of what we are talking about in terms of religious persecution in the world. It goes all the way back to Abel. Cain slew Abel because he was righteous. And that pattern of hatred of righteous, the righteous people on the earth continues all the way up and crosses over all dispensations as we find in the Great tri Tribulation all the way down to the very end the people are persecuting uh, the people of God those who receive the mark of the beast, those who impose the mark of the beast and, and, and the image and allegiance to that. Uh, that whole thing continues that religious persecution is here in this world to stay. So as a righteous person, you should know that this world is not your home for a lot of reasons. Not because Christ just chose us out of this world, but because... Uh, they will persecute you here. This is the battlefield. And even for people in Israel, they are, even, they are of the world, but the world does not love them. The world hates them and fights and destroys and kills them. Is, this is common. So religious persecution is here to stay. This is what Jesus said. And John eight thirty nine and forty. Let's read it. John eight thirty nine and forty. So it says, They said, Abraham is our father, they answered. Jesus says, If Abraham uh, it says, If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is. No in other words, this is what you're doing. You are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You wouldn't claim you're Abraham, but, but yet you're trying to kill me, on the other hand. Somebody who just, all he told you was the truth, and you want to kill me. This is what we call religious persecution. See, religious people are set in their ways. And as far as they're concerned, you are violating their standards. 
what they have from God. And God can't change as far as they're concerned. If God says, here's how uh, I gave you the Mosaic law, and now you are under the law, but then for the church, we're not under the law. But did God just say, hey, by the way, they're not under the law. No, he, he through signs, wonders, and miracles, he demonstrated that that was the way. And yet, they refused to believe it. They said, no, we're going to stick to this Mosaic law. This is what we have. This is the authority that we are wielding. And we are not changing, no matter what. So they refused to. And so what did they do? They persecuted those who followed the new way. They, it was a matter of persecution. So let's keep going in our notes, and we'll find out. There's a little more. Point number three is, in fact... Not only will they put you out of the synagogue, in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you, well, let's talk about that for a minute. We know that the rest is, we'll think they are offering a service to God. But let's look at this whole point about them killing us. So the time is coming. So that time is the church age that Jesus is referring to. And, uh, as, and this is what I read in Romans eleven twenty eight. As far as the gospel is concerned, they, and he's talking about unbelieving Israel, are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. That's 11, Romans 11.28. And why do I bring this verse is because we show, it shows the, the, the difference, the dichotomy between what, on the one hand, they're, these people are loved, but yet, because of their stubborn re religiosity, they refuse, and now they're enemies of the, the church, the gospel, of those who, who hold the very gospel. So that's unbelieving Israel. They still have a covenant with God. They still got a, there's a plan for them. God's not finished with Israel. So that's why they are loved on the account of their patriarchs. But as far as we are concerned, they are persecuting us. In fact, they're the ones that put Christ on the cross. They're the ones that stoned Stephen and, and uh, many others were killed by the, their enemies. So that's how you ought to know that this is, this is, this, this is what God is, is telling the church. Point B, beware of religious persecution. It is something... That is happening. It is serious. It is deadly serious. It is not only uh, debating about God, but it is a matter of life and death. And this, when you think about this, this people think, yeah, what's religious persecution today? Well, you know, I got into this argument with people about the gospel or some point in the Bible. It's beyond that. Religious persecution goes and has gone beyond that. There are religious wars, just to note. There were inquisitions because of uh, people, and we already kind of went over some of this. They tortured people. They killed them for religious reasons. Millions. We're not just talking about you know, one person got killed. Millions of people died under religious persecution. So we, we should know that... Uh, you know, just because we, we can have conversations with people and that doesn't happen where we are, 
That's not me. I want to turn to Acts chapter 23. Just We see it right here in the Bible. This is not something that um, we're trying to find examples for. There are plenty of examples in the Bible. Most of the disciples, probably 11 out of the 12, uh, died as martyrs. And all of them were persecuted. All of them. Not some of them. All of them. So verses uh, 12 and 13, Acts chapter 23. So we saw this. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy to bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed. Not Listen, they couldn't deal with the wisdom of Paul. So what did they want to do? Shut his mouth. That's what it was. They wanted him dead. They said until they had killed Paul. They would, Paul was such a blight and an enemy against what they considered uh, Judaism at, at the time, Mosaic Law. They just felt like he had done things worthy of death. They would just have to kill him. Imagine that. That people had formed, they, they took an oath. They said, we're, we're not going to eat or drink anything until this man is dead. I wonder, since Paul continued to live on, what happened with those people. Did they die because of their, their vow? Anyway, so they had come up with this, this plan to get them. But if you look down in verse 23, it says what happened when, when they sent. It says, then they called two of the centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote the letter as follows. And then he wrote the letter. He was telling him what, what was going to happen and the troops and forth. So this is uh, very serious. They wanted Paul dead. And so once they found out Paul was a Roman citizen, they said, no, this isn't happening. We're going to find out what this is all about. So, which gives audience now for Paul to be able to speak to these uh, governors and magistrates in Rome, to high officials. Paul got the chance to give his testimony to them, so, which is uh, quite interesting. And God had already told Paul that he would witness to them. So what saying all of this is not just Paul debating in the synagogue. It's a matter of life and death. This is something that uh, we have to understand, those who of us who are here on the ground witnessing to the truth of this message that we have. So if we look at Acts, love's devotion and motivation would disregard and overcome the fear of death. This is point C, 3C. Um, it's, it would disregard. Once we have this love, it's kind of, squelches fear of death, even fear of death. So when we look at Acts chapter 5, and not only just our love and devotion, because that love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the proper motivation so that we can fulfill the Father's plan. Acts chapter 5, and we're not going to read all of this, uh, but I just want you to get the flavor, the atmosphere of what was going on. Verses 18 through 42, basically through the end of the chapter. So they, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Why? 
did they arrest him? Um, because they um, were out there preaching and uh, they brought the sick, they were healing them, they laid their hands on them. If you read earlier, just read the context, you can kind of understand. So they were arrested, in verse 18, put in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts. This is what the angel of the Lord told them. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said. Tell the people about this new life. And just remember, this is what got them arrested in the first place, right? Going out in the temple courts, telling them about the new life laying their hands on people, healing the sick, all of that. And here the angel gets him out of jail, uh, miraculously, and tells them to go out, uh, you know, tell people, and go out into the public, right? Don't go hiding somewhere. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail, uh, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported to them what the, that they had found no one inside. So, so, so this was, uh, you know, this was the miracle that happened. So then, <clears throat> someone came and said, "Look." The men you put in jail, this is verse 25, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. <laughs> really? At that, the captain went out uh, with, with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that there would be you know, an uprising. In other words, they were teaching a lot of people. There was a crowd. And they, for them to grab the people and forcefully remove them would be an uproar. So they got them and they kind of coerced them to come with them and so forth. So this is what they said in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with, this, with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. It's a very, very key verse for us Christians who are living in the world. Uh, we're supposed to obey the rules, right? Do, do what we're supposed to in the world. Obey those who have the rule over you, etc., etc. But one exception to that is when it comes to when those rules cross what God has called us to do. In this case, they told them, don't preach. Don't go out here and talking about this. They said, no, we got to do that because this is what our calling is. So they were going to have to just accept the persecution. And then they even began to tell him, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious. And wanted to put them to death. Notice, wanted to put them to what? Death. They didn't want to have an argument with them. They didn't want to have a debate with them. They wanted to kill them. <laughs> Dead, like they did Jesus. So, this is when, you know, Gamaliel, uh, he came, a teacher of the law. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't do that. So, in, in any, any case, they were persuaded. So, uh, 
But then, so they let him go. But they beat him first, right? This is verse 40. His speech persuaded them. Uh, and he, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. It's literally beaten with cat of nine tails. That's no, no just little whipping, you know. They had them beat. That's serious. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin and listen to the attitude they had, rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So what happens, verse 42, day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So there you have it. I mean, perfect love casts out fear. It, you the love, the commitment, the devotion, the motivation that we have can then quell the fear of death. And fear of death is real. It, it, it's a real thing in this world. And yet, our motivation, whatever, if we are spent in God's motivation, if we have to become martyrs, if, if it comes down to us giving our lives or or giving up our possessions, or being thrown in prison, or whatever it is, love is more important. Our, the reason why we're here is more important than all of the persecution that may happen to us on the battlefield. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Let's look at that real quick. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15 says... Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So we could say, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Because now... Jesus has conquered death. Now, here's a person who has come back from death. He's conquered death and the fear of death. We don't have to worry anymore. We, are, we can freely give our lives. It's just also, just like in 2 Corinthians, which we don't have in our notes, but in chapter 5, at the very beginning, it says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Now notice, it's destroyed. It's not just old age or, you know, we had some disease or whatever. He's talking about through persecution. If it's destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And that's what we know. And this is the fear. We, we have conquered this through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can have that mindset even here in 2021. So this is part of how we're going to have to live in this world. If we're going to function, if we're going to have a witness, if we're going to fulfill the, the purpose for which we are called, then this is what God is, uh, this is what is ordained for us. It's the suffering. So, let's continue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you, point number four is, will think they are offering a service to God. 
So let's continue this thought. Religious persecution zealously assumes the prerogatives of God in persecution and killing those who would challenge their authority. I'm going to go to John 11 for that one. John 11. Well, we could see that in history with the how they opposed the Protestant uh, movement, opposed the authority of the Roman Catholic Church and the authority that they had over all of those nations. Remember, you couldn't even get married in those nations if you didn't submit to the the Roman Catholic Church. They had to uh, accept and ordain that that was a legitimate marriage. I mean, it was literally the power that they held over those nations. And so, anyway, here, here's verse 48. You know the story of Lazarus. Right? Um, this is how it goes. Uh, verse 48. Uh, it says here, if we let him go on like this, and this because after he had raised Lazarus, resuscitated him from being dead four days, it was amazing. Right? This, Jesus, I mean, you, how would you compete with that? And then uh, Jesus is out there preaching and Lazarus is sitting right there by his side. People, I mean, it was just, how, how could people see any other way to that he was not who he's claimed to be? So verse 53, they got together, uh, actually 48 first. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> and, and what will happen? And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. We will lose the power that we have over the people. So it was about power. Verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life that this is literally this is what they've concluded and why because this man performed such a miracle that could not be disputed beyond any reasonable doubt to who he was they figured well if we do that he's going to get the power we're going to lose the power so religiously let's persecute him let's kill him doesn't make sense like you can read this john chapter 11 as much as you want, but I can't find any sense in, in their actions here. How, how is it that now this man is doing all these miraculous signs and wonders? They tried to say he was a demon. Jesus said to them, Satan can't cast out Satan. That's not possible. So how is it that he can do these things? Right. Hold on a second. Yeah, how is it that he can do these things? It's not possible. So, so getting back to our, our notes here, that to me was amazing to think about, to John 11, the, the aftermath of when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Point, point B, for I can testify, this is a quote from Romans 10 too. This tells us a little bit about religious persecution and religious people. I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. That's important to note. Their zeal is not based on knowledge. And so they don't know. They're ignorant when it comes to what God is. But the reason why they're ignorant is because they're unbelieving. They reject the spirit of truth trying to enlighten them. 
They would rather stick to what they think serves God. So that's why when they kill you, they think they are offering a service to God. But that is not what God wants. They don't they resist the Holy Spirit, just like their forefathers did. Stephen said this before he was killed by this religious mob. Just as your forefathers did, so do you. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's what happened in that case. So they don't have knowledge. They're zealous. They're excited about God. They're running in place, but they're not going to the right place. They're, they're, they're not going to a place where uh, God is leading. They're running to some place where they're using, they want to keep their authority. They want to continue to establish power over the people, etc., etc. So, point C, we have Paul's testimony. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we're going to move quickly through these. I know we're almost done here. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses uh, 12 through 15. I think, and this is his testimony, I think uh, Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Notice, considered me trustworthy. (laughs) That's what Jesus was trying to instill in the disciples. You have to be trusting of me. Right? you, You have to trust me. And here you see the Apostle Paul, who was a man who persecuted the church. Nobody trusted him because all he did was he had all these different ways of capturing people, gathering them up, just like the Roman Catholics did during their dark ages, capturing people, rounding them up, trying to get them to recant their uh, profession of faith in Christ. And if not, he would have them killed. He would he had orders from the high priests from the Sanhedrin to go out and do these things. So but then verse 13, even though I was a blasphemer, this is why uh, he's thankful that God had given uh, considered him trustworthy. He said even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. He did all this was the Apostle Paul. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So that's the unbelief is he refused to believe. The ignorance was he refused to allow God the Holy Spirit to teach him what truth was. But he changed, right? Paul did have humility on the Damascus Road. It was it, that's that did happen for the Apostle Paul. So that's why we have ignorance and unbelief. Point D, those believers in the first century were on the battlefield and lived with the constant threat of persecution. So I want to read 1 Thessalonians 3. Let's read that. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And just let's just read verses 1 through 13. Well, we won't, I don't know. Well, we'll read it. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in the faith so that no one 
will be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. Notice the trials, right? We are quite destined, that we are well, we, we, we know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, uh, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. So notice that there is an atmosphere of persecution. This was not something that was only happening some of the time. It was happening all the time. And not only that, but the disciple, the, the apostles told them that this would be the case. So imagine that when Paul had to go to jail. And that was disgraceful for him to be in jail, to be, you know, a Roman uh, you know, citizen, or for him to be a, an apostle, and then he's in jail. A lot of people could turn away just because of that. Uh, and yet, a lot of people realized what was happening, and the church survived. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Now, this is important. I was afraid that in some way, the temper, uh, the temp, the tempter, and the tempted had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. So I'm, I'm butchering the, the wording here, but, but what he's trying to say is that he's worried about their faith and, and that maybe they are fragmented. Maybe Satan had got in and, and that all the work that Paul had done was in vain. But in verse 6, but Timothy had just now come to us from you and has brought good news about you, about your faith and love. And he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distresses and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. This is, so their faith, even though Paul was going through tremendous suffering and the other apostles, understanding that people were standing with him, that they, they were going in the right direction. Remember, there are strength in numbers. So how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply you what is lacking in your faith. In other words, we can do some teaching so that you can come to grow even more. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for you, uh, for us to come to you. May the Lord make you love, your love increase and overflow for each other. Notice the same things we've been talking about, your love for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the, our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So just notice the tenor of that. So when you read the epistles, it, don't just read that you read that particular verse. Try to get the atmosphere of what's going on there. So you can kind of see what was happening and how the people felt. What was the teaching and what did the apostles say about them. And 
that gives you the tenor of what was happening. It's literally the same thing that we have been reading about what Jesus said, that there's going to be persecution, the world will hate you, don't be surprised, understand, don't fall away, don't become confused and dis disoriented because of it. Right? This is coming. So that's why I said earlier, knowing, the, having a heads up about such things is important. Lastly, Let's look at a couple of verses, uh, Hebrews eleven thirty-two to 40. We're talking about persecution and, and in this world. It's always been. So eleven thirty-two. and what more <clears throat> shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain even a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they become or be made perfect. So, we talk about this world and the treatment of those who are in this world, horrible. But this, as far as God is concerned, they ought to be commended for their faith. The world was not worthy of them. So persecution is coming to the church. Persecution is coming to us. And this is what Paul says in closing. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, <clears throat> death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I come from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. We'll continue with this thought next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this privilege of 
our fellowshipping in the Word of God. We thank you for putting us in service on the battlefield. We know that our struggle is not with flesh and blood. And <clears throat> as we fight in this world, we pray that you will continue to give us the guidance, the, the, the strong influence of the Holy Spirit that guides and directs us in our lives. We thank you for those who are on the battlefield with us. And we pray for their, their, their welfare. We pray that we can continue our missions, that we could stand firm as one man contending for the hope of the gospel. So this is our mission. We pray that you will continue to use us in this world as long as we're here. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.